Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 201 of the Juicebox podcast. Today's episode is the last of season four. I first began making this podcast in January of 2015, and I am very proud to have given you a weekly episode, except for a couple here and there, every week for four years. While other podcasts are busy doing year-end reviews and speaking blah, blah, blah about whatever that pops in their head because they think they have to put an episode up, I am finishing this year strong the way I promised you. We did Anthony Anderson, the star of Blackish. Brett Christensen was here from Omnipod to tell us about the new Dash PDM coming in the first quarter of 2019. And we also talked a lot about their new artificial pancreas and its integration with Tidepool. I am bringing you the important information here. And just because it's a few days after Christmas and a few days before the new year does not mean that the Juice Box podcast brings you some throwaway episode because I promised you one. That's not how I work here. Today, you are going to get the answer to a question that most of you at some point have emailed me and asked. How is insulin impacting my weight? And I have a guy on here who's going to talk about it in ways I think you're going to appreciate. But first, let me thank Dexcom and Omnipod for sponsoring the Juicebox podcast. You can go to Dexcom.com forward slash Juicebox or MyOmnipod.com forward slash Juicebox to find out more about the sponsors of this show. There are also links in your show notes and at juiceboxpodcast.com. Find out more today about the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor and get yourself a free, no-obligation demo of the world's only tubeless insulin pump, the Omnipod. Go to the links, check it out. Chris Rudin was born with a shortened arm, a smaller hand that had two fingers. Later in life, he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Today, he helps people just like you. I met Chris when I was speaking in Ohio at the JDRF Summit. And as he and I found some free time together and we were chatting, I thought, this is the guy. Finally, I found someone to answer your questions about weight loss and weight gain and insulin. Finally found the right guy to bring him on. You're going to want to listen to what Chris has to say about health and type 1 diabetes and the use of insulin. He's got great insight. I think you're going to love it. Not only that, but in just a few days, on January 3rd, Chris is going to be a contestant on the Titan Games with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, like on NBC. You're going to be able to like flip on the television and go, hey, that guy that I just heard on the Juicebox podcast is standing in front of me on my TV, and he is doing amazing things, crazy feats of strength. Do not miss this. People, who comes through for you? Hmm? Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise, and always consult a physician before becoming bold with insulin or making any changes to your healthcare plan. My name is Chris Rudin, and I am probably the only seven-fingered diabetic record-holding powerlifter, nutritionist, and online influencer that you know, and I guarantee that. <laughs> what's the what's the uh, rate limiting factor in there, Chris? What makes you so simple uh, able to say that? Do you think it's, the- it's, it's probably the gel I use in my hair? <laughs> definitely the gel I use in my. <laughs> I could definitely say uh, not many people I know have a congenital birth defect and type one diabetes, and also have uh, four state records and one world record and all the fancy letters behind my name. But I'm gonna go with the gel. You're gonna be the gel. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I I met you recently, and your hair was on point. So I appreciate that. <laughs> that makes me happy. Life goals are accomplished. Normally, I'd ask you when you were diagnosed, but I don't think that's the lead question. So you you 
I don't know exactly how to talk about this. So, you know, in terminology, so you'll help me please. But yeah, that's not a problem. So I mean, when you want to talk about, I was born with a disability. You know, that does not mean I, I am technically disabled. I'm not, not abled. I'm just differently abled, if that makes sense. So I was born with two fingers on my left hand and a shorter left arm. And I never, I didn't have diabetes growing up, but I grew up with a disability. So I know what it was like to be different, to be looked at, to be made fun of, to be an outcast because you weren't physically the same. You know, I didn't realize all the other issues that were going to come into play later in life because of diabetes, but I dealt with that growing up as a kid, and it was it was really tough, you know, to be in a not nice area. You know, I didn't grow up rich, and I was kind of alone because you don't know other people who have disabilities at that time, and Facebook groups weren't a thing. So, you know, I grew up kind of alone and like, okay, I'm different, I'm I'm supposed to be less than, I guess, because disabled technically is synonymous with weak and broken and useless and all these other names. So I grew up labeled and it was it was definitely rough. Let me ask you this. When, I know it's hard because you're young and it's 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 asking you to think back really far. But until you leave the house and go to school, do you really think of how, how differently do you think of yourself? I'm, I'm assuming everyone else in the house has two arms the way I'm imagining. So, yeah. so I mean, is it that easy? Do you look up and go, I'm not like my mom and dad or my brothers and sisters. I don't know what your family situation is. So for, for me, it wasn't at home. I thought everything was good, you know, until I started going to, I think it was middle school. I, I went to the same school my entire life, you know, in elementary school, everyone knew me and I, there was some issues here and there, like people making fun of me, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad, you know? Now, it wasn't until I went to a new middle school and I was, I never hid my hand whatsoever, you know? I went to a new middle school the first day, everyone started making fun of me, laughing at me, all this stuff. And I'll never forget, there was this girl named Crystal who was just, you know, she was the prettiest girl in the class and I wanted to go talk to her. So I went up to her in front of the class and I turn around and everyone's laughing. I'm like, why are you guys laughing? And I turn back around to look at Crystal and she's using the stapler to make fun of my hand. And I shove my hand in my pocket. And for 17 years, I hid my hand from that point. Well, and the staplers ham-fisted at best. Like, I mean, she could have come up with something better. But Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. These, these, these middle school kids, Chris, they're not inventive. Middle school is by, by far the worst, though. It's, they, they might not be inventive, but they are ruthless. So any kid going through middle school, I just – I feel for them. Yeah, no kidding. And it gets better. It gets better. And, of course, you're the same age, too. So you can't respond in any meaningful way to shut Oh, no. To shut I had down. no clue. Yeah. I had no, no preconceived notions or, like, no knowledge on how to deal with a scenario like that, you know, and I was always embarrassed to tell my parents what I was going through in school. So they never really knew. Mm -hmm. No. And it's funny. It's as you're saying it, I realized too, like as you, you're walking up to crystal, which I mean, we're, we're very close to just calling this episode crystal sucks, but probably not. (laughs) So, but as you're walking up to her, you have no expectation that she's not going to be anything but like human and polite in return and excited to meet a new person. Like you're excited to say hi to her. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had no thought whatsoever. And it wasn't until that point that I was like, wow, I am different. You know, where kids were like, oh, they would always choose me to be the monster at recess. And then everything starts to come together like, wow, that's why. This is why everything is happening like it is. And I went from being naive to being guarded, you know? Yeah, it took away because you had a you probably had a, a perfectly normal and healthy opinion of yourself. I did until that point. Right. 
Yeah, it's very interesting. Like I know I'm not, I'm not like lean. You know what I mean? Like my body's not lean. I never really have been my whole life, but I don't think of myself as overweight, which is interesting because, um, it, it, a I think it sometimes it stops me from taking better care of myself because I don't particularly think of myself poorly. But at the same time, I know people see me, and it's funny. You and I know each other. I'm not like I'm not. I'm not painting myself as like grossly overweight, just like flowing through door. Yeah, you're, you're good. <laughs> yeah. But, but I'm not, I'm not at the weight that I wish I was. Right. But I don't, uh-huh. I don't see myself that way, but I do know other people look at me and I don't, I, it's not their, you know what I mean? Like it, a lot of time, a lot of times for me, it's uh, a lot of people ride this, whether it's good or bad, it's, I'm just going to take the emotion out of it. This purgatory of a life where they don't change they, they kind of want more, but they don't change and they don't change because no one said anything. And I don't think that's a problem. Like before crystal, I was in that purgatory of life thinking everything was good, you know, but life will skew your opinions of yourself based on what people say and how people act around you. So if they don't, you have no reason to feel any other way except for your confident beliefs in yourself. Now, when people start to say things to you and start to get to you, if you allow it to get to you, you will change. And that's usually not in a positive or beneficial way, kind of like what I went through, you know? So when did you, at what age did you start using a prosthetic arm? Is that, is that the right terminology for that? Yeah, I started using a prosthetic arm last year. Just last year? I hid my hand for 17 years until November of last year. And you were bodybuilding prior to that, right? I was bodybuilding, powerlifting, speaking. I was living my life. I played drums. I did martial arts. I danced. I did everything hiding in plain sight. Hmm. And a lot of people tend to do stuff like that. You know, for most people, it's kind of like a mask. For me, it was literally and figuratively a glove. I wore a glove to hide my left hand for 17 years from... My girlfriend, from everyone who knew me, I never took it off, ever, ever, ever. Did you avoid touching people with it? Yes, I pretended like it didn't exist. And I was so confident, I had such a strong persona that most people wouldn't ask me about it because they would feel uncomfortable to come at me. And it was this fake sort of confidence that I fixed all the problems in my life, but that one elephant in the room, and I pretended like it didn't exist. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, is that where the bodybuilding initially came from? Were you just trying to perfect the parts of you that that were, you know, quote unquote, normal and what everyone expected? So I've always been that super, super competitive person that wants to like compete with everyone, whether we're walking next to each other and I'm going to walk faster than you and you don't even know we're racing or like, you know, I won I, again. <laughs> that, exactly. That's, that's me all the time. I think that's just from being born differently. I'm always like proving to myself that I can do something. So I, everything I've done has been competitive from dancing to drums to all of these things. So bodybuilding was the last thing that was like, oh, you can't do this because you need symmetry. You physically don't have symmetry. It's the way you were born, so that you can't do this. And to me, that's a, that's the biggest challenge to say I can't do something. So I, kind of out of spite, I got into bodybuilding and uh, powerlifting. Yeah, I mean, I've seen images of you when I, I assume you were more tr- in a training mode um, and for size, and I obviously met you a few weeks ago at the JDRF event in Ohio, and you're an incredibly fit but you know, and strong. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, no, I'm... Uh, very handsome man, Chris is what I'm saying. And, uh, and so <laughs> and that works for me. Yeah, yeah. Listen, whatever. Right. I will take it. Hey, it's working. It's working. Those Instagram pictures aren't lying. That makes me happy. But, but, um, it, it, it does, 
strike an outsider because it hit me. How did he build himself so symmetrically when I, I, my assumption was that you're at a deficit on your left side, but you're not? And, and so how do you make that work? I think what's funny is uh, anytime people, people encounter a problem, like a struggle, whether it is diabetes or whether it's anything, financial, friends, something, they, they consider themselves to be at a deficit. And for me, it's not being at a deficit. It's being how I've always been. You know, I do the best with what I've got, with what I've given. And the biggest resource you have is just being resourceful. So if you see what you have, for me, it was my left arm. And I'm like, okay. I'm going to need a little bit extra work on my left arm. Instead of acting normal like everyone else, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to adapt, and I'm going to make the best of what I can. And that's what I've done, and that's what I continue to try and do is always perfect my situation and not perfect the image of normal or not perfect the image of what everyone else thinks it should be. You know, there's no universal fix to an individual problem. So I think people, that's where they mess up. They think they're going for this universal approach that doesn't fit them. You know what it reminds me of is, it's so funny, um, I think we measure everything out to perfection, especially the stuff we can see. So I, as you're talking, I'm thinking of just today, um, the Phillies traded a player for another player. And in, in involved in this trade was a kid that they had, they had drafted really high, they had a ton of expectations for, and he kind of wasn't coming through the way they expected. So as he's going out the door, I'm seeing people comment on what a, a flop he was, you know, good riddance. Thank God we got rid of him. Blah blah blah. But, but the truth is, and and I'll, I'll I have a little bit of perspective on this. So my son plays baseball in college right now, um, but he started playing baseball when he was four years old, two thousand and four, and two thousand and four. That's the statistics say that in two thousand and four, four million children began to play baseball in America that year. Last year when my son went on to college, he and 9,500 other people went on to play college baseball. Of wow. Of 4 million. That's nuts. Of those, only, I think there are 3,000 professional baseball players in the world. Of that, only a handful of hundreds actually play baseball on television every night all summer long. This guy that just got traded is just a hair's breadth not as good as those other guys. And people treated him like garbage on the way out the door. Isn't that crazy? It is. Isn't, isn't that ridiculous? But I think that's how we think about things. Like instead of, and my point is, is that wherever along that path, you know, anyone stops being able to move forward, that's still amazing. If you're if you're a 30-year-old guy in a softball league because you love softball, there's nothing wrong with that. But from the outside, we tend to look at that guy and go, oh, what a loser. He didn't make it to college. And that's... That's the unfortunate part about life today. People see other people's success and they're so engulfed by wanting to get to that when success really is individual. It's mm -hmm. it's defined by you. And if you define it as you need to be, you know, Bill Gates, you're going to have a hard time feeling success and feeling happy, you know, but the, the best way to feel happy and to, to be successful, I think in my head is gratitude, you know, being grateful for what you actually do have, because there's millions of people who would kill to have what you have. 100%. I saw a, a random fact, you know, if you have clothes, shoes, um, and uh, a roof over your head, you're doing better than 75% of the world. Mm -hmm. If you make over a hundred dollars a week, you are in the top 8% wealthiest people in the world. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, and I, I know from personal experience, you might be there too. 
you might not consider yourself wealthy, but to most people, you are. I say all the time that the that the the working poor in America, and even some of the non-working poor in America, are still some of the more well-off financial people in the world. They 100% are. That's not to take away their yeah, their struggles, but right. perspective is a crazy thing, and that's why I started to over the last like let's say 10 years i've really tried to change my perspective of i was given less to i was given an opportunity to make the most of what i've got you know yeah. no i i'll tell you something that i say a lot um it's about it's about a1c so you know i know that the the general feeling in the in the diabetes community is that you don't share your a1c because it makes people feel bad and I have my own thoughts. I think some people are out there kind of hawking their wares and then they don't want to follow through at the end and say, you know, they, you know, they like to say, do what I do, follow me here, you know, maybe pay for my plan of this or whatever. But I don't want to tell you my A1C because I don't want you to feel bad. Well, listen, if you want me to follow you along on your idea about how to take care of type 1 diabetes, I want to see how it works for you. Absolutely. Right, right. And so – I share my daughter's A1C in that spirit, in the spirit of I'm saying all these things that we do. You should know how it works out in the end. But but still, it, it, it can be debilitating to other people, and I'm completely aware of that. So I've come to say, and I, I hope that people really feel this, that looking at someone's A1C or their, I don't know, their Dexcom graph that seems pretty steady or you know somebody who's got a goal of 70 to 130 and stays in it most of the time, you should look at that, and if you don't have that, that should just look hopeful to you. You shouldn't be angry at that person. In my mind, you should look and go, oh my gosh, that's possible. Let me figure out how that happens. Like, how do I do that? Not, I can't believe they're having this success and I'm not, and immediately angry at them and sad for yourself. It's a, such a counterproductive way. It, I mean, it, it happens with everything. You know, with diabetes, I see it happen a lot. There, there are two kinds of people. They're the kind of person that shares their A1C maliciously to prove something or to have social currency saying I'm better than you. And then the type of people saying, hey, this is just my situation. It happens to be this, and this is how I got here. Yeah. That is a lot better of a way. Same thing with people with their bodies. You know, you could have two guys with abs. One guy could be super cocky and kind of arrogant. And then the other guy could be like, this is what I did, and this is how I got here, and this is the product, you know? It's it's a different perspective from the person who has that A1C or from the person who has the body or that person who has that business versus the person who sees it. Now, the people who see the A1C of your daughter, people who see the A1C uh, that are really low and people want to strive to that, it's on them as well to say, hey – I can't take this as a negative thing. That's that's the way you perceive it. And you control your thoughts and beliefs and reactions, whether you say you want to or not, it's all you. So when you see a number like that, you can't you can't go into this negative self doubt and all this. You like you said, it should be hope. It should be inspiration to keep going and know that it's possible. Yeah. No, I, I well, first of all, anybody who would do that for what you called social currency, I'm old enough that I don't even think about that concept. Um, but I, you know, social media, it's a very real thing. No, it is like, a very real thing. I definitely understand that that's true. Those people are just, that's a horror. Like, you know, the, there should be a special pile for them in hell for somebody who's running around trying to make you feel bad through Instagram or whatever. Uh, that that's just odd. Um, but the rest of it, I mean, you have to, you have to believe when I tell you that years and years went by, I couldn't get my daughter's A1C to move. 
and I didn't know what I was doing. And I just kept building these small ideas on top of one another, on top of one another, with no real direction. And I'm not trying to say, wow, I figured it out all by myself, but I sort of did. Like, I just kept looking out into the world and thinking, well, you know, it, simple things. I had trouble with Arden's insulin, and I saw another person who was using a different insulin. I thought, well, let me try that. Or someone using a piece of technology, and I thought, let me try that. You have to believe, as much as I love Dexcom, going back to the 7 Plus all those years ago, I didn't know what a CGM was. Yeah, You, you know, someone else knew, and I was like, okay, right on. And, and I'll tell you where I give a little bit of credit to that, is that I grew up, uh, I'm an adopted person, but but my my adopted parents split up when I was 13, and so I kind of grew up through those formative years. You know, they talk about searching for a father kind of a thing, but I didn't do it that way. What I would do is I'd look at the adult men in my life or that I worked with, and I would identify the things they were amazingly good at, and those that part of them is what I would mirror. Like if one guy was a good, you know, a good talker in a group, I'd be like, that's a good skill to have. One guy was more thoughtful and quiet. I'm like, that's a good skill to have. And, and I would kind of pick and choose from people. You know, I got to almost build my own dad. You, you know what I mean? Like, in, yeah. I don't know if that sounds sad or not, but like, that's sort of what I was doing. And I did that with diabetes too. I'm like, let me just take the best ideas and bring them home here and we'll, we'll make a plan with them. That's that's what life is though. Like that that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to find the characteristics that you resonate with that are gonna help you be successful and achieve your ideal of success. You don't have to copy one person. Like no one's gonna listen to this podcast and say, I have to do exactly what you're doing every single minute. No. They're gonna take what benefits them and that's how people operate. That's not a negative thing. That's that's just what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to see what helps us and helps other people. And that's fine. That's okay. All right, Chris, we fixed the world. Now let's move on. Okay, there's two ways to deal with this. You are listening to this at the very end of December, very likely, and your insurance is about to reset. You've probably already met your deductibles. Now is the time to get moving on your purchases for your diabetes supplies. And if it's too late, if you're listening, you're like, Scott, I can't believe you just said that. It's January 5th. I just heard this. Ugh, I wish I would have thought of it two weeks ago. Where were you? That's fine, too. You still have to get prepared and understand what it is you're going to do. When you're ready to jump, you need to be ready to jump. I don't want you to find out, you know, two months from now, oh, I've met my deductible. Now I'll start thinking about whether or not I want an Omnipod. Don't do that. Start today. Start right now. Stop procrastinating. Are you procrastinating? You are, aren't you? Stop doing that. Right now. I mean, not right this second. You're doing something right now. You're listening to a podcast. But when the podcast is over, you look in the notes of the podcast. You click on the link, myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. When you get there, you fill out the tiniest bit of information about yourself, name, address, phone number. And Omnipod, such good people, they will send you a free, no obligation demo of the insulin pump that I'm talking about, the Omnipod. They send you out the pod. And then you wear it or you, you, know, you stick it on your kid or something like that. And then you have days to live with it and really think to yourself, is this what I want? Do I want to be untethered? Maybe I want to be like strapped to a tube that goes all through my pants down to a controller. I mean, probably not, but you know what I'm saying? You're going to get a chance to live with it and really see what you think. And then if you want to move forward, you just tell Omnipod, I want to keep going with this. And if you don't, it's no big deal. They're not going to hassle you. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice box with the links in your show notes. Have a happy new year. Do this for yourself. Tell people a little bit about what you do for other people. And then I'm going to ask some questions because one of the most 
frequently asked question through email to me is, can you please talk about my issues I have with weight and insulin? And I think you're just going to be the perfect person to talk to about this. But tell, tell people a little bit why you might be the right person to ask. Uh, when I was diagnosed with diabetes, I basically decided to switch my career from being a lawyer, because I just like to argue with people, to actually helping people. And I found exercise and nutrition. I got my degree in exercise science and health promotion. And then my business online took off. I just started building my social media. And now I work solely from social media. I run one of the biggest type one only uh, weight loss and body composition challenges called the Fit Me T1D Challenge. And I do private coaching through social media, through phone, email, Skype, to help people better their body composition, which as a side effect also helps them control their diabetes management. And I work with other people with different conditions. So I am not an endocrinologist, but what I do is help people lose body fat or attain the body or specific performance goal that they want so that they can just be happier in life. Because my end goal was better confidence in yourself because that's what I struggled with. And for me, better confidence comes from better health, better feeling, better quality of life in total. And if you and if you need more to believe in Chris's ability to speak to people, he apparently talked his parents out of, I'm assuming, killing him when he decided not to be an attorney. So Yeah, exactly. They they were like, You wanna do what? Uh you wanna work online? I'm like, Oh, that means you're gonna be broke and living in the basement forever. I, I made it, Mom. I made it. Are they still talking to you? <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and uh Chris now they believe in me, hundred percent. Now they hundred percent believe me. Before it, there was a phase where it's like, uh, maybe you should go be a janitor, and I'm like, no, I'm gonna make this work. To me, this is a measure of your genius. So that you calmed your parents down after that situation is uh, pretty great. <laughs> and that's when I found out I wanted to be a speaker. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so let's start slow. Um, my daughter is diagnosed when she's two years old. She's 17 pounds, obviously gaunt, losing weight, dying in front of us. Four days after insulin, she weighs two and a half pounds more. Now, I recognize that it's her body getting back into, you know, a, a healthy way, but she continues to gain weight. And how is it that insulin helps a person to keep weight on? Like, what is it about? I, I want to know the real, we're going to get a little like granular here. So I want to understand so how that works. So a basic lock and key mechanism, insulin allows nutrients to be transported and stored. So without insulin, you the nutrients can't be optimally transported and stored. So if you think about it, someone could be consuming, you know, an extra 500, 1,000, 2,000 calories a day without enough insulin, their, their body's not storing it. So you see increased urination, you see increased sweating, all these things to try and get rid of all this stuff. And insulin allows those nutrients to be stored. So a lot of people, in my mind, falsely blame insulin for causing weight gain, when in reality, weight gain cause is, comes from uh, calories. It comes from uh, excess amount of calories. Now, those calories weren't able to be stored without insulin. Now, when insulin is introduced, all those calories do catch up to you. Now, if insulin directly caused weight gain, like immediately, 100% of the world would be severely, morbidly obese because we all have insulin in our body. So insulin itself is not the primary culprit. The primary culprit is uh, excess caloric consumption. Insulin just helps open the door, if that makes sense. It does. Um, and... Oh, hold on a second. I like to let that just like soak in for a second because that is just really valuable information. Um, it 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 is the thought of people, most people in the in the wild, 
who, you know, I started using insulin and I gained weight. And oh, absolutely. It's such a it's, cause and effect. It, it's called a slippery slope fallacy. Basically, if I stuck a pencil in the, my back pocket and I went and caused, and I went and robbed a bank, does that mean pencils cause robbery? No. No, it's the same thing. Because you introduced insulin and you gained weight does not mean, correlation does not mean causation. You know, so we have to understand that before that insulin was introduced, you were probably over consuming, not to mention you you had decreased satiety or decreased, uh, you know, feeling of fullness. So you kept eating, kept eating, kept eating as a response to your body. And now that insulin was introduced, those things are stored. And it's so it's. You got to understand now when we get to insulin resistance, it's a little bit different, a little bit different mechanisms. And then there's other hormones at play. But in a basic sense, once you kind of stabilize how much insulin you're consuming, I mean, you're taking, you have to figure out how much eating, how much you're eating, how many calories you're consuming. And people skip that. They think diabetes management is end all. Life is more than diabetes management. Life includes diabetes management, but you also have to manage your life. Okay, so I mean, it's such a simple answer to what feels like a bigger question. It's so interesting that then people see that I started taking insulin and I gained weight, so I'll leave my blood sugar higher, and then they start manipulating their weight by not using enough insulin, and then yeah. you're just in a spiral. You know, you can't- so now this is where we have to address this because I know someone's going to message you and say, well, how do you explain this? When I stopped eating carbs and I used less insulin, I lost weight, right? right? You hear that all the time. Well, guess what? Carbs are made up of four calories per gram. When you stop eating carbs, you stop eating calories. You eat less calories and you lose weight. Also, you lose, you use less insulin. So you see that whole slippery slope fallacy comes in again. People associate carbohydrates with weight gain when in reality it could be a part of weight gain, but total caloric consumption is what contributes to weight change. And, and so it's interesting that it, it really is. It's sort of – it feels insulting if you've ever struggled to lose weight for someone to say like it's all about calories. But it really is. Without calories. The unfortunate part it is. Now I'm, I'm going to go through just some quick diets. We talk about keto diet. A lot of people are like, oh, I do the keto diet. It works. Well, keto diet is very hard to overconsume food because it's very restricting. When you go out to eat, you can't have a burger or you have to have a burger without the bun. And you have to limit certain foods. You're going to limit carbohydrate consumption. So – one of the three main nutrients, proteins, carbs, and fats, is now eliminated. You can't have carbs. So when you take one-third of the way of your food consumption, of course you're going to have one-third less calories or less. You know, So it, at a base level, it does come down to caloric consumption. Now, there are specifics. It doesn't just stop there. That's not the easiest answer. Like, oh, just eat less and you're fine. There are other things. You have to have proper nutrition and proper fuel. You have to have the right amount of protein, the right amount of fat, depending on how many carbs you have. There is a science to this stuff. And what's funny to me is that if your car broke down, you wouldn't try and fix it yourself. Because for me, I'd probably hit it with a hammer and duct tape. I have no clue how to fix a car. If you were, had need brain surgery, you wouldn't try and operate on yourself. You know? But when people come to dieting, they think they can do it themselves. Yeah. They think they know how to do it. Well, my cousin's friend's brother's sister did it with less carbs than this, so I'm going to do that. There is a specific way to do it to make you not want to pull your hair out. I promise. You know what I did um, about a month and a half ago? Just it wasn't really on a whim. I just was looking for like a like a jump start, like something to try. So I did the, what I think now, as I look back on it, kind of a crazy thing. But I did this um, th- this baked potato like like fast, basically, 
and it's probably something you've heard of, and I don't know that I should have done it or didn't do it, but basically for 10 days, I ate nothing but baked potatoes. There was no salt on them, no butter, there was nothing on them. It was the potato. You bake the potato, you eat the potato. You could eat as many potatoes as you wanted during the day. And I, so I went out and bought a big bag of potatoes, and I'm like, let me try this. And I did it for 10 days. In 10 days, I lost 17 pounds. More kind of importantly, what I learned was I was never as hungry as I thought I was. Mm -hmm. That was really the interesting part because you'd start with like, oh, I'm hungry and eat this whole potato. But then by the third or fourth day, I wasn't eating a potato every two hours or every four hours. I had like two of them a day. And I was – So, yeah, you limited total consumption and you limited variety. You limited the processed foods that can increase something called hyperpalatability, basically making you want to eat more food. You limited all the crap. You know? Chris, I wasn't hungry at all. And and wh- what I learned about butter and salt was I don't like baked potatoes. I like butter and salt. That's the key. <laughs> and that's the difference. And that's the, the difference. The baked potato was like a delivery system for the butter. It was. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. That is the best way I've ever heard that put ever in my life. <laughs> Honestly, when I think about baked potato, like sour cream butter, baked potato is literally the delivery system. Mm-hmm. Even with like bread and butter at a, at a restaurant, it's like how much butter can I fit on this little piece of bread? Because without the potato, you just look like a monster eating. Something. You do. And you obviously you would never want to judge yourself like that. But, you know, that's what you truly want. You just want to drop that bread and stick that finger right in the butter and just go go in. But we can't do that as civilized people. So <laughs> so it's just it, it taught me a, a great deal. Like those couple of days that the weight was neither here nor there. I just didn't want to have as much of a double chin when I was standing up on that stage. But, uh, but, but, you know, but I did, I was trying to learn sort of a greater thing about my, about myself and about the idea of eating. And then I looked to see what's in a baked potato, you know, which is just a root. It, it's a, it's such a basic thing, but it had enough vitamins and nutrients and everything to very well keep me going for 10 days. Like I was yeah. not at a deficit now that I'm, I'm using a word that's in my head today, but I was not at a deficit for for calories, for for vitamins, for anything. I was doing really well. And that's the benefit. When you can find a way to be in a caloric deficit because you want to lose weight, but not, you know, risk malnutrition, then then you're on a good path. I you know? I, I hate to bring this up, but I just have to. There was a Kansas State nutrition professor who did a study where he ate Twinkies and protein shakes for I believe sixty days. I think he lost something like fifteen to twenty pounds. And he improved his metabolic profile, his cholesterol and all that. Because all he, he found ate, the balance between He found a balance. Now he he wanted to say this is not healthy, this is not what you should do, this is not a long term approach, this is not a good thing. I just wanted to show that when you calorically control for higher protein diets and you're in a calorie deficit, you you can still change make changes to your body composition. Now we want to do it the healthy way too. So we take that concept, we add healthy foods, we add a healthy balance of life. You know, you should be able to adhere to it. It shouldn't make you miserable and it should produce results. If it hits those three goals, you're very successful. No kidding. I, I, I did not, I never felt better. I really am, I, I say this throughout my life, I, I always feel like a person who I'm at odds with my body and food. Like I'm not a I'm not a big food person. Like there's no meal that you could say to me, "Hey, let's go out tonight and get this," and I'd I'd be out of my mind. Like, yeah, let me plan my whole day around eating this food. Like I don't get excited about food like that. Um, and I my bigger problem is because of that, I don't really eat very much. And I think that when that happens, my body's like, "Yo, this guy's starving to death." Like we have to hold on to every ounce of fat he has because we're on a desert island somewhere. He hasn't eaten anything in a day. 
I mean, that's definitely a concept. There's something called adaptive thermogenesis. Basically, your body adapts to a lower calorie amount, a lower calorie input, and it can start getting rid of tissues that cause too much work, kind of like muscle. So when people start eating too little and they lose lean muscle mass, they retain body fat, and it just changes the composition of from what they want it to be to what they really don't want it to be. So we got to be careful with not eating enough as well as eating too much. Yep. And that's just like blood sugar management. You're not too high, not too low. Right. And so, so is what's the when you think about people and their calories around diabetes, is their is their biggest stumbling block that they're always chasing lows with food? So I, I have a few things. I just finished up a challenge uh, with 114 people, and it was awesome to see. But the biggest compliment I got for this challenge was. I tracked my food to track my calories, and I realized I was bolusing for the wrong amount of carbs. I realized I was bolusing for things I didn't know. You know, people were bolusing for a banana that they assumed was 15 grams of carbs, but it was actually 45 grams of carbs because it was a large banana. Now, some people like to carb count. Some people don't. Um, and that's okay. Whatever you prefer, whatever works for you. But the realization of what you're doing and paying attention to trends is the biggest benefit to you know, diabetes management when it comes to tracking calories. So that's a side benefit. For people who are constantly going low and treating with carbs, which makes them eat more calories, which kind of furthers them from their uh, body composition goals, I have people create a low-carb reserve. So if they're allowed 80, 100, 200, however many grams of carbs you have for the day, let's say it's 100, I tell them to pretend like they only have 80 or 75. That way, those 20 or 25 grams of carbs are a low-carbohydrate reserve. When you go low, you eat your carbs to obviously fix your blood sugar, but now you're not going above your caloric limit because you planned in advance for that emergency scenario. It's it's just all about even if so even if you're to, I'm gonna make that simpler for people to listen to even if you're eating well and healthy all day long you're not taking in too many carbs too many calories too many this and that but you get low once twice three times drink a juice box have some candy uh, you know a squirt of frosting whatever it is you're doing that's there you go over top of your calories yeah right and and you're not going to not only you're not going to lose weight you're going to gain weight. So in, in certain scenarios, say you were to have an extra 50 grams of carbs a day from low treatments, uh, that's an extra 200 calories. You know, that's almost a half a pound a week that you could be either gaining or losing less than a half a pound than you originally wanted to. Uh, the average pound of fat takes 3,500 calories to gain a pound. So when we talk about that 250 a day for seven days, that's almost half a pound of fat. Yeah, and it really – and there's no way to quantify – when you get into the eat the kitchen phase. You oh, no, that's done. Oh, yeah. When I destroy that box of mini wheats, like that is over. You know, <laughs> when you realize you just had 300 grams of carbs in 15 minutes and you're like, well, tonight's going to suck. You know, I just, it, I just want to, that's a real thing. That everyone listening right now knows you're a fit person because, like, your crazy go to, I can't believe I'm eating this, is mini wheats. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, trust me. I love donuts too, but frosted mini wheats are the best cereal ever in my head. I love frosted mini wheats. <laughs> so They're also the most carb dense cereal too. It's crazy. Yeah. But so, I mean, my, my thought is if you're already struggling with your weight, then I my, I do agree with Chris. There's a reason Chris is on the podcast because Chris stood next to me and was saying things. We were on a panel together. And I'm like, wow, this guy is smart, and I agree with him, which always makes me think people are smart because you agree with me. And so um, <laughs> that's but, great. But, but no, but you were talking about calories, and and I and I thought that's really smart. And if for me, 
or for anyone else who's not at their goal weight, I am eating more calories in a day than I I believe that I am. You, you know, like I might be thinking I'm doing okay, but it, the truth is I know when I'm doing okay because when I'm doing okay, my my body composition goes to where I expect it to be. And when I'm when I'm not, when I'm eating more than I even think I am, I'm obviously my weight stays the same or it goes up. But I never in the course of those days and weeks do I think, oh, I've overeaten this this week. But I obviously- it happens. It happens all the time, man. And I see people automatically they they overassume their uh, fitness level. So I ask people, oh, on a scale of one to ten, how fit are you? On a scale of one to five, how fit are you? So I go to the gym five days a week for an hour. I'm super fit. Well, guess what? That's five hours out of 168 hours. I'm terrible at math, but I know that fraction is not good. Yeah. You know, not saying that you need to do more, but I'm saying that you got to realize where you stand. If you only go to the gym five hours a week and you sit down at a job, you have to consider yourself that you're not as active as someone who works doubles as a waitress or a construction worker doing 12 hours on their feet. Go, go, go. Those people are very active. People assume going to the gym means you're active. And unfortunately, just because you're in the library doesn't mean you're studying. Just because you're in a gym doesn't mean you're fit. You know, we got to we got to know the reality and not say you need to do more or less. We just have to start with transparency and realness. You know, Yeah, I have a couple things in my life that keep me straight about that. One, my Apple Watch, which tells me I'm not nearly as uh, burning as many calories, I think, although because of what I do, because I'm basically a stay-at-home parent, I am on my feet 12 hours a day. And I'm telling you, I think that saves me some weeks. That's going to be a lot more than someone who works at a desk job, you know, 9 to 5, 9 to 9. Those, not saying that those people need to quit their jobs. I'm just saying they have to understand that they're going to require less total calories than someone who works as a construction worker. Yeah, No, absolutely. And it's uh, I, even having active children, like athletic children, which is such – I was – Talking with somebody the other day, my Arden's in the middle of having her shoulder rehab because she, she just her shoulder kind of got out of place. So she's not playing softball right now. And I was standing there and watching her do this thing. And this woman asked me, this this the therapist asked me if I had any other kids. And we started talking. And I said, you know, I got into this point where I was explaining to her, I'm like, there are times that I watch my children do things and I think, how are they my kids? You, you, you know what I mean? Like, like, and so I, but I, yeah. I have that perspective. Like you could take my son right now. I don't know where he's at. He could go out, run three miles, go play baseball for four hours, lift weights, throw a ball from here to God knows where. And he'd be tired when it was over, but he would accomplish all of it. And if I tried to do a, a small fraction of what he did, it, it'd probably kill me. And, and, <laughs> you know, and, and so having them in my life, gives me that pro that that perspective that you just spoke about it doesn't sometimes help me do more about it but at least i know where i stand which i think is what you were saying and what i think is important too like i'm not overestimating myself because it is very easy to sit around 40 years old and think you know when i was 18 i used to do this and you still sort of think of yourself that way absolutely it's, it's interesting you know that's very true christmas is over and the stress of the holiday is gone there's nothing left to think about except all the bills you can't pay because of Christmas. All right. Well, I guess the stress never ends when you're an adult. But wouldn't it be nice to make it a little less? Here's one way you could do that. You could get yourself a Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor so that you know what direction your blood sugar's moving in and how fast it's going. You already know what direction your savings account's moving in and how fast it's going that direction. And that's not fun to know. 
But this thing about your blood sugar, this is different. This is actually great to understand. Arden's not with me right now. Do you know what her blood sugar is? It's 106. She's out with my wife, Kelly. They're having lunch together. I bet you Arden had a waffle because I know the restaurant they went to. 106. My wife is using the information coming back from the Dexcom to tell Arden's Omnipod how to give her the insulin. Extended boluses, basal rates, stuff like that. Those decisions, they get made with the data that comes back from Dexcom. Now, all you have to do is go to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box or click on one of the links that I've provided for you. And you'll be well on your way to having a waffle in the middle of the day with a 106 blood sugar. And if you're the caregiver of a person with type 1 diabetes, as you just heard, I can see Arden's blood sugar remotely. That's a feature that Dexcom calls share and follow that's available for Android or iPhone. It's absolutely amazing. In the end, I just think it's time. I believe that the way diabetes technology is moving, you want to have a Dexcom G6 moving forward. Without discounting any of the amazing things that the Dexcom does today, if you go back one episode and listen to my conversation with Omnipod about artificial pancreas, you're going to know for sure you want a Dexcom G6 right now. I want to exercise more, but I have type 1 diabetes. But when I exercise, my blood sugar gets low, Chris. So I can't do that because all I'm going to do then is eat more calories. Obviously, your whole plan sucks. And so how do we get <laughs> how do we get around all that? How do people work out without getting low? Well, that, that concept is also like saying, hey, I can't eat because when I eat, my blood sugar goes up. So I'm just not going to eat ever. Mm-hmm. You know, that the concept is understanding what happens when you do X. So you can figure out why, you know, you have to understand what happens. So with certain types of exercise, like cardio, like some sports, you're going to have a lower blood, your insulin sensitivity is going to increase and your sugar is going to drop with certain exercises or uh, types of intensity, like sprinting, like lifting heavy weights, like powerlifting. For me, my blood sugar increases temporarily and then drops later. So you have to understand your trends before you can make any sort of preparation to fix it. Once you understand what happens, say, oh, I'm exercising, now I'm going low, now I'm eating, and now I'm gaining weight, so exercise is bad. No, we need to figure out what's going on. Why are you going low? Do you need to adjust your basils? I adjust my basils for my workouts. I set temp basils, you know, so I have less insulin on board when I'm working out if I usually go low. Or I adjust with moving my carbohydrates for the day around my workout so I can make sure my blood sugar is good. There are a lot of things that you can move around to adjust for that, but you have to be willing to think outside the box and not be overly frustrated with something that's, it's life that happens. Ups and downs are normal with diabetes, with life, with anything. So don't get frustrated and quit. Say, okay, how can I fix this? What am I doing? If you're high, you know you need more insulin. If you're low, you know you need less insulin. Like that's that's a base, it's kind of oversimplifying it, but it's a base level of what I need to do. Chris, this podcast is all about oversimplifying that. And so it's funny because what you just said, the people who listen to this show just heard you say that. And if they're not thinking that they know what I'm going to say right now, then shame on you. Go listen to more episodes. But what I'm going to say right now is that I tell people all the time, and you sat next to me while I said it, most of managing insulin is about timing and amount. And that while you're learning that timing and amount, you have to go through what I call, like, it's just the, it's the non-math math of, like, insulin, which is I did this, this happened next time. I'd like this to happen. So I will increase, decrease sooner or later my insulin, what, whatever it ends up being. It's just, it, that's how you learn. You, you, have that's to, it. You, right, that's you, it. you try it, something happens, you go, okay, not quite what I was shooting for. 
what would I think would move this in the better direction for myself? I'll try it next. There, there's nothing perfect on paper. You know, like you can say, okay, my insulin sensitivity is this, uh, my, you know, my target is this. From a day to day, we know diabetes changes. We know there are differences. Your sensitivity is different almost all throughout the day, every day. So there's a percentage that we know, and then there's a percentage that we don't know. So we have to be on our toes and understand how to correct in real time and not just, oh, but according to my plan, I have to do this. Yeah. Yeah. You have to see where you're currently at, where you've been, and where you're trying to go and make those adjustments, not what your plan says, you know, so to speak. You have the plan in place, but you also have to think live, you know, in time. Absolutely. More, more often than not, when I hear from somebody who's a newer diagnosed person or somebody who's really struggling, what they ask for is they want a number. Like, just yeah. tell, tell me the number. Just please tell me the number. Tell me how many carbs do you tell me? A hundred percent. Right. And I'm just like, it's, I, I'm sorry to say that to you, but you have to figure that out. Like I, I don't know. And, yeah. That's and, what, we don't have those answers. We don't have those numbers. And to prove that yesterday, Arden's in the middle of a crazy growth spurt. If I told you she is three quarters of an inch taller today than she was six weeks ago, I am not lying to you. Um, and so she is, she gets on kicks. She comes home from high school two o'clock in the afternoon and she wants something bizarre to eat. Last year it was nachos and queso. That was it. Every day she'd come home and she'd be like, I'm going to have nachos and cheese. And I'm like, uh, okay. So I had to figure out how to bowls for that this year. And this might be a, a, a regional thing, but this year it's pork roll sandwiches on hamburger buns. And so I don't know if anyone knows what that is or not, but it's basically, it's meat that you probably shouldn't eat that is pig derived and uh, you fry it in a pan and she wants it just on a white roll. Right. So she comes home. She's like, I'm going to have pork roll today. Now we're leaving for her therapy in 45 minutes. So I'm quickly making this for her. She decides to have two of them. Her, I've got her blood sugar already moving in the right way because I kind of know this is going to happen. So we've been bumping stuff around an hour before as she was leaving school here, she is in the kitchen, Chris 70 diagonal down and she's about to eat this stuff. I'm like, I have, I'm amazing. And so, and, and so I put in this incredibly extended bolus kind of situation where I give her nothing up front, the rest over and over an hour. And she's in therapy, physical therapy now, an hour later, doing all of her exercises. Her blood sugar is 81 and is not moving. And when I, went, I went in to pick her up and I actually, I looked at her and I was like, did you see the bolus for the pork roll sandwiches? And she didn't, she's doing something else. I'm like, I killed it. I was like, it was like, you were so proud. It was a masterpiece, Chris. Right. Yeah. And so we get home, talk to my wife for a couple minutes. I start making dinner. And the next thing I know, I hear beep, beep and her, her now she's over 120. And I'm like, oh, it's just a little bump. And I bump it a little bit. And the next thing I know, she's 130 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 80. And I don't know how the heck she got there. I don't know. I mean, it, that, and so I have a, I have a very relevant story similar to that to, to let people understand. Also, just cause I'm into the fitness thing doesn't mean I don't enjoy myself. I was speaking at a JDRF summit this past weekend and I was with my girlfriend. We somehow found our way to this place that makes funnel cakes and funnel cake and powdered sugar happened to be my favorite thing along with donuts. So we had some funnel cake and I pre bowls for this thing. I said a uh, temp basil. I did all this stuff. It was set. In the middle of the night, I woke up in fear. I was like, in my head, I was like, I'm going to be so high. This is going to be ridiculous. I woke up at 93, and I was 93 the entire night. And I was like, I killed that. I nailed it. The next day, we went to Korean barbecue, and my sugars were through the roof. And I was like, 
this is just meat. What is going on? Why is my sugar doing this? And I, I figured out the sauces, the different types of meat, protein can have an effect on blood sugar. But it, it goes to show you like there, there are going to be those perfect times and there's going to be those times where you mess up. I don't take them personally. I just learn from them and adjust yeah. and move on. And the next time you hit that Korean barbecue, you'll do a better job. Oh, I know. I'll be ready. Yeah. I'll be ready. That's exactly how I think. That's what this whole podcast is about. It's why I was excited to have you on to talk about this one aspect of it that I don't know a lot about. And because I thought it's so interesting. We've been talking for 40 minutes now. You have talked about things that people struggle with throughout a lifetime and spoken about them. They, they, I don't want to say they're simple, but they are much more simple than anyone imagines. I'm telling you the people right now are going, if what this guy is saying is true, this is not as complex as I was imagining in my head. It, it really, it, it is not. It's frustrating. Yes. It's eye opening. There's a lot of different things. No, I, I don't claim to be a guru or anything like that. I just pay attention to my clients. I want to know how I can help them best. And if it caught, it makes me disprove my own theories, that's fine. But at the end of the day, science is what science is. And when we have science backing anecdotal data, and I see the hundreds of type one diabetic clients that I've had transform their bodies by simply tracking their macronutrients, their main nutrients, and hitting certain targets that I set for them, I see that it works. And I know I'm going to continue doing this for my clients because it's it's helping them. So you, you can have a million people line up and say, no, that's bad. Insulin is bad. Carbs are bad. You can tell me all these things. But at the end of the day, do you know why you're saying that? Or are you just perpetuating myths and not understanding your trends? Yeah. There are ways to have a normal life and eat normally and eat the foods you like and still be within your body composition goals and within your diabetes management goals. Okay, so now I have some questions about stuff that's a little less uh, diabetes-centric. Cool, no worries. So I, it was interesting. I walked up at some point. You were in the lobby somewhere when I was with you a few weeks ago, and you were putting – like you had taken your, your arm off and were doing something with it and putting it on, much like I would have expected someone to like readjust a slipper. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> like you just – it was very oh, yeah. obvious. Like you weren't thinking about it. You were – literally, you didn't look like you were thinking about it. It was just something you were doing. And so as you took it off – I, I recognize that you're, you know, now you've described your hand more, you know, in detail for us having basically two fingers on a shorter arm, smaller hand. Do you hold the prosthetic with the, with your hand or does the prosthetic fit to your arm in a way that that's not necessary? I'm dying to understand how you, how it's on you so firmly that you're able to like hang from a bar with it. So the, the. There's some interesting stuff about this prosthetic. It's not common for people with upper body uh, disabilities to have a prosthetic like mine. Uh, some people do, but it's called a myoelectric prosthetic. It picks up muscle signals off from the forearm to move the hand. And there's it's lined with a very uh, high-quality silicone that sticks to the skin, and it's actually comfortable, and it stays on very well until the basically vacuum seal is broken and then I can take the arm off. I like to take my arm on and off for certain things that are easier to do without the arm or easier to do with the arm. And when I lift really heavy, when I start deadlifting up into the 600s, I can't use that arm because that's a $150,000 arm that will break. So that is only rated for lower weights. So when I lift, I have to do other adaptations with other implements. But for that, that's my daily use hand. So I can grab cups, grab plates, grab different things that most people take for granted. I've never had 
uh, you know, opportunity to do. So it's cool for me. And yeah, I mean, the hand just, it really helps me kind of live with both hands. All right. So, all right. That's stunning. Have you ever uh, left a place where driving away, got five minutes away and thought, oh, I left my arm? And, and have- I a thousand percent have, and I usually leave it at the gym. It's ridiculous. For one, it's the best way to make sure no one steals my equipment because I just attach the arm to a bar and like hang it and people are like, oh, I know who the, who's there, you know? <laughs> Um, but I, I actually, uh, at the front desk of my gym, I was like, Hey, can you guys hold this? I don't want to carry this around. And their face was just mortified. <laughs> they were just like, um, uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, all, all the time. All I the just time. figured it was such a part of your life. Like it, it's like my cell phone. Like I just like I'm halfway up the street and I'm like, Oh, and then, yeah. and, yeah. and it's new to me. It's only the past year. So, I mean, I still forget things. I still forget that I have it on sometimes. And I, it, it's fun. You know, I've had some pretty traumatic accidents where I was jump roping and the hand flies off holding the jump rope. And there's been some very interesting times with this prosthetic, but it's nothing but a a learning curve and it's a lot of fun. That's amazing. It really is. How did you, um, how did you come upon it? Did you just, did you get popular enough that a company that made it kind of came to you and said, Hey, we have this, or did you, is it something you were out in the world looking for? So going back to, you know, I hid my hand for 17 years and I always wanted to do you know, a bodybuilding competition. Eventually I've been doing powerlifting where I have to lift really heavy weights and broke all those records. I said that if I ever got a prosthetic arm, that would be the moment that I take my glove off. That was more of like a a fantasy type thing. I never thought it would actually happen. I ended up going to this company who a buddy of mine, who's also an amputee, he is a prosthetist there and works on prosthetics. He was like, we can do this. We can do this. So it took a year. I had carpal tunnel in my right hand, my non-affected limb, um, just from overuse of only using one hand. Over a year, I finally got approved for a prosthetic. And that was the moment, the deciding moment that I wanted to take my glove off. And it was terrifying, but I did it. And I actually recorded it and posted it on YouTube. The videos went viral. I got like over 3 million views, went to the top page of Reddit, Washington Post. All these things started picking me up. And I realized that the thing I've been hiding, the thing that I've been most embarrassed about, that when I finally embraced it, it made me more successful. It made my mission a lot more successful, and it made the people I helped so much more involved. So that was a great moment, you know, for me. But that was really the deciding factor. Almost the act of taking the glove off was better than getting the prosthetic. That's crazy. Um, I have a couple more things I want to ask you about. So I want to get to in a second I, you're on a television show soon and I want to get to that and make sure we talk about yes. that but I have a question for you about me so you're in a, a, a an interesting situation to answer a question for me was it weird sitting with someone who doesn't have type 1 diabetes talking about it and that person's talking about it not like they do but but the way I did was that strange for you No, uh, I think that's how people should be. I think people should be so immersed in what they're interested in, what's relevant to them, that they should be how you are and what you're doing with all that you're doing in the community. So I, the bad thing is I don't expect it anymore because of how many people don't do it, but it's nice to see. So being able to sit up next to you and talk about that, I loved seeing your perspective and understanding the simplicity of how to treat diabetes. When I see people online all the time, they're like, oh my God, I'm 400. I don't know what to do. And in my head, I'm screaming like, take insulin. What are you doing? Like, I just pressed my fingers to my forehead. You know that thing, like when you're in traffic and like, what are you doing? Like, that's my, that's my face. I don't understand why people don't 
do that, you know, and I, I, it's my job to do it. So when I heard you talking, I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty relevant. And I, I appreciate it. Uh, I, I just was like, I always wondered if you're a person who has diabetes, like, is it like, can it be angering to sit next to a person who's like, I don't have it, but here's. Oh, it can. It can be. It's only angering when the person doesn't get it. When the person pretends not to understand both. The second you open your mouth, you understand, okay, he gets it. Cool. People can figure that out really quickly. It's just like a doctor. You know, if you have a doctor who really gets it, my uh, PA, I go to a PA sometimes and for diabetes stuff, and she goes to every meeting. She goes to every conference. She is so into it. She doesn't have diabetes, but she has explained things to me in ways that no one has taken the time to do so. So regardless of what people have, you know, yeah, listen to what they have to say because knowledge is not, you know, disease dependent. Okay. I think that one of the, I, I think that one of the things that I have to offer is that because I don't have diabetes, but because I am so immersed in it that I can be a bit dispassionate about it when I talk about it. And I think that sometimes that's valuable for people because the emotions can take over and you can get, you know, a, a swell in your heart or in your head or be so upset that it's hard to think. And I can, I can be disconnected from that. Like I, I can get emotional about what I see my daughter's life being, but when I talk about the nuts and bolts of diabetes, I'm able to step away from it because I don't have it. I've, I've often thought if it was me and I had it, I bet you I wouldn't be good at explaining it to other people. I'd I see a lot of people let the emotion get to them. And that's kind of what I try and teach people mentality wise is separating emotion from the real story. The real story is your sugar went high. The real story is not you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. You know, you, you have to be able to separate that emotion. So the fact that you can present that, you know, viewpoint, I think it's, it's really valuable to people who are so just engulfed by the emotion that comes with diabetes. I appreciate your um, perspective on that. And I, Absolutely. I hope no one thought that I was like, Hey, here's a good opportunity for Chris to say something nice about me because I really just, I want to, I want to No, I mean, it's true because I've listened to other speakers who don't have diabetes and I'm like, Oh my God, can this guy just stop talking? Cause it's like, you can tell he read it from a book. That's the difference. Right. Well, I've been putting this together for a, a long time, very slow, like building a, a building a, a house of blocks very, very slowly and, and seeing that, you know, not being afraid of insulin was really important and honing that idea. And then seeing that I can't be emotional about, it. I can't sit there thinking, oh my God, I'm killing her all the time. Like that just, you're not going to get there. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, when the, when, when, you know, the blood sugar starts jumping up out of nowhere and you don't expect it. You can't just be like banging your head against the wall and going, I can't, why did this happen? Well, you just got to go, okay, it happened, stay fluid, I'll handle it. But these things were thought of very slowly over years, and then I threw away the parts that didn't matter. And I think that's why sometimes when I talk about it and I make it sound so simplified, it can throw some people off. But I'm telling you, I have, I've distilled it down to the very, the very important pieces. And then from there, like you said, you take from that what works for you, and then you start building on what you think are the important pieces and how it fits in your life. Anyway. So you're going to be on television and, and not just like on TV, but you're going to be on TV doing something that you're amazing at, I'm assuming, and you're going to be with The Rock. So please explain to me how that happened first and then where we can see this. Yes. So I am officially on the Titan Games hosted and produced by The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson on NBC. And that comes out January 3rd. So 
basically, it's a, a very intense event, a modification from American Ninja Warrior, completely different in the sense of it's head-to-head and the obstacles are insane, absolutely insane. I can't say much about it because it hasn't come out yet, but I can say I'm one of the competitors. There was over 10,000 applicants and they ended up picking, I believe, 64 people, and I was one of those 64 people. So I'm very fortunate to be on that show, and I'm super excited for everyone to see it. Is this a process where you can uh, compete, win, and stay on the show longer? I or cannot divulge the right. process yet. But January 3rd, we'll have everything, and uh, it, is, it is so intense. I can't, I can't like stress that enough it's it is crazy running jumping swinging climbing i can't like can't you say you, anything you can't even fathom i like even if i said what some of the stuff is like you just would be like what okay right. I, I couldn't even draw it for you so what i can say is that the rock put a lot of effort into this show and uh he originally was thought to be like american gladiators but they veered off a little bit from that and it's just you can't you can't describe it. You really can't describe. It. How big is he? He's ginormous. Is he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ginormous. <laughs> you just stand there going. Yeah, you're like this is this is the rock. This is crazy. It's so this funny. Is- it's so funny that he comes up again because uh, uh, Derek Feller, Derek Thieler. How does Derek say his name? Thieler. Um, One of those. Yeah. yeah. He was. He's been on the podcast a couple of times, and he is a massive human being, right? Like. Really? Oh my god, really huge and has type one. He's like six seven, I think. Wow. He, he told me you have to go back in the episode to find it. But he told me he, that if you Google his height, I'm doing it now. Right? If you Google his height, it's he's shorter. He they, he reports himself shorter than he is. He reports himself as six five because at his actual height, he just thought that he was too tall to be an actor. <laughs> so, so he, you know, he. He lied about being – who lies about being shorter? No one. That, that's yeah, right. that's, that's crazy. Guy, right? Um, but he said he – he's. if you listen, go back and listen to the episode, he's just a huge fan of like action movies and he wants you know, to be in them and he is actually having success with it. But he said he met The Rock one time and he said The Rock looked at him and said, man, you're big. <laughs> and so, that's awesome. That's yeah. a compliment. <laughs> so I thought I need to understand how big The Rock is if he looked at Derek and thought, wow, yeah. look at you. You're a mountain. So, wow. Yeah. So that's, that's really cool. Um, I can promise you he did not say that to me. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you made me feel tall, which I appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. No problem. I got you. I just support everyone that way, you know? Chris is like, I'm a life coach for your height issues, even. Exactly. If you know, very low fee. I could stand next to you and make you feel taller. Um, hey, everyone is shorter than me when they're doing push ups in front of me, so it's fine. I guarantee that. Um, I guess, you know, I, I want to wrap up and, and, and let people know how to find you. So, you, like you said, you're mainly on Instagram. Is that right? Yeah, I'm mainly on Instagram and YouTube. Those are my two things, just self titled uh, Chris Rudin. And I also have a website, chrisrudin.com. I'm launching a subscription based uh exercise and nutrition type program that's a lot more affordable. I wanted to reach more people, so I need I found a way to drop the price significantly so that people could work with me on a daily basis and that's my goal for 2019. So you so you're trying to create a business model where you, and you can help so many people that you can keep all their prices low and you can still yes, survive. Yes. So I, I mean, I was at a point where I was charging close to a thousand dollars for 12 weeks of work. And now I'm at a point where I can create a business model that's less than $20 a month. So 
um, that my goal is to help more and more people. I've already had hundreds of people, you know, with their transformations, both physically and mentally, but I, I need to do my job and my job in the world is to help more people at that level, whether they're dealing with diabetes or any other issue. Um, that's my job and I'm going to do it. How do you help them? Do you speak to them directly or is it? So I do. I, they're constant texting. So from texting to Skype calls to just nutritional, changing their regimen to scheduling them in my private app for different workouts. There's so many different levels that people need. So it's a custom process. And with this subscription that I'm doing, it's going to be a community, which I found has helped so many people with that type one challenge that I run, the Fit Me T1D challenge. Just seeing people interact in the private Facebook groups and supporting each other because they all know the struggle of having diabetes on top of the guidance that I give them. You know, it's nothing can replace that. And it's awesome to see. Okay. And if you had to leave people with one thought, it would be it's about calories, right? My thought would be understand you have to you have to understand how much you're consuming when it comes to blood sugar management or body composition or fat loss goals. You have to understand how much you are consuming at this point. Once you have that point, then you can make changes. If you see that you're consuming too much, you can make changes. If you see that you're not consuming enough, you can make changes. But if you don't know how much you're consuming, you cannot make changes. Done. Perfect. Chris, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Find out more about Chris on Instagram, YouTube, at chrisruden.com, and, of course, on the Titan Games, January 3rd on NBC. I'll put links in the show notes to all of that. End of the year thanks to Dexcom and Omnipod for continuing to sponsor the Juicebox podcast. They, again, will be sponsors for the entirety of 2019. We have a couple more supporters coming on as well that I just can't quite talk about yet. I want to sincerely thank all of you for the ratings and reviews that you've left on iTunes, for the support you've shown through hashtags like Bold with Insulin, for sharing the show the way you do. It continues to grow every month because of you. Really, really appreciate the affection that you give back to the podcast, and I hope you understand how much affection I have for all of you. Let me just wish everyone the happiest of New Year's. I am so excited for 2019. You should be as well. We are going to do amazing things together. Continue to be bold. I'll talk to you soon.